0: Aria Code is produced in partnership with The Metropolitan Opera, New York's premier opera company. Learn more and explore the Met's full season lineup at metopera.org. The Metropolitan Opera. All the stories on one stage.
1: Listener Supported WNYC Studios Listener Supported WNYC Studios.
2: It's really been my therapist. Opera has. It's been my way of dealing with all of my issues in life, not just the death of people close to me and illness, but also happy moments, too. Hey, I'm Rhiannon Giddens. From WQXR and the
0: Metropolitan Opera, this is Aria Code.
3: I think it's the most beautiful musical depiction of despair. In each episode of Aria Code,
0: singers and all sorts of experts decode one aria, and then we listen to it all the way through with fresh ears. Today, a super famous aria by Puccini, D'arte."
4: That's, that's such a beautiful line, and I gave my song to the stars, to heaven, which smiled with more beauty. What that line reminds me once again of is just the um, mission of opera in general, which is to really leave the surly bonds of Earth and give one a, a sense of the infinite.
0: I've been singing since I was four. Well, at least that's what my sister tells me. And I really can't tell you everything music has given to me. The ability to stand on stage... To open up my mouth and to let my voice come out and connect with the people who are sitting there listening to me is just, it it means everything. When I talk to other musicians about this, it's obvious that they feel the same thing. It's kind of a shared language. And that's as true of fiddlers and folk artists as it is of opera singers. Maybe it's that shared language that inspires us to sort of gather around certain stories, certain songs, certain characters. One of those characters is Floria Tosca the tragic heroine of Puccini's opera. Tosca's a singer herself, and she has what you might call an artistic temperament. She's a little volatile, a little high-maintenance, and a lot jealous. Her boyfriend, Cavaradossi, has gotten embroiled in local politics and is at the top of the hit list for the evil police chief, Scarpia. Long story short, Scarpia tortures Cavaradossi and sends him off to be executed. And Tosca's there for all of it. She can hear his screams. She can hear the drum beats announcing that it's time for his execution. And she has to fight off Scarpia when he tries to rape her. She's scared. She's devastated. She has no idea what to do. But suddenly, she turns inward and she prays to God. And that prayer is truly one of the great arias Fisi d'arte. In this song, Tosca asks God, Why me? I've tried to be a pretty decent person, so why have you repaid me this way? I think it's something we can all relate to from time to time. But it's the first lines of the aria that really get me. I lived for art. I lived for love. And if that's not the artist's credo, I don't know what is. Today we'll hear from three people about how important this aria is to them and why it moves them and us so profoundly. The first is soprano Sandra Radvanovsky, who sings this role at the Met.
2: I am Tosca. It's my life. Right there in an opera. Okay, I've not killed anybody, thank God. No.
0: We're just going to have to take her word for that. Writer and pianist Vivian Schweitzer.
3: I love Puccini because I think the way that he uses music to tell a story is incredibly impactful. She recently wrote a book called A Mad Love,
0: All About Opera, and Rufus Wainwright, singer, songwriter, and opera composer.
4: I became a huge opera fan at the age of 13, but part of that was uh, me trying to indoctrinate my family. Some of them fell for it, some of them didn't, but one of the activities in that campaign was to dress up my sister and my cousins as opera characters.
0: By the end of this, you'll know a lot more about what Visidharta means to them, and maybe even a little more about what it means to you. So now, let's decode Visidharta. Oh,
1: So
2: to set the scene before Visidarte starts, uh, it's chaos on stage. You know, it's basically Scarbia chasing me around the stage saying, you're going to be mine, you're going to be mine. And I say, no, 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 you you can't have me. And basically beating him off of me. And he's grabbing me inappropriately. Um, hashtag me too. And then all of a sudden you hear the drums. da dum da dum da dum dum-dum. And she knows what the drums mean. And that is Cavaradossi is going off to his death. So it's chaos, 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 running around on stage. Blah, 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 blah. <sighs> Nothing. Silence. And that is exactly what you hear right before she starts to sing Visi Vi Visi Amore." Nothing big and spectacular. It's not this big Puccini orchestra that we're so used to. It's just chords. And they're kind of doubling me, which is interesting, because at that point, we're one. The orchestra and the singer are one.
3: It descends in this tragic arc, these four notes, which she then repeats, and it sounds so dejected. I think when people speak normally, if you're in a real sense of despair, your voice usually descends a little bit. I think it's the most beautiful musical depiction of despair.
4: And she's, you know, right up against the greatest trial of her existence. And of course, she needs this moment to reflect. Something that I I admire a lot about Puccini now, that I've written a couple of operas, is that he has this uncanny ability to just switch the mood dramatically uh, in a fraction of a second. He he can do this better than Wagner, better than Verdi, better than pretty much any other composer in opera, I think, where, where all of a sudden you're just... Ripped out of the mood you were in before and plopped into the next one, he's sometimes accused of doing this to people of being of being a little bit manipulative in that way. But the older I get, the more I'm impressed by his ability to to actually pull it off because it's not easy. And and Viscardi is such a, an excellent example of that, where you're sort of bloodthirsty and ready for you know Tosca to stab the knife in and then. There's peace all of a sudden. And and you're reminded of the humanity of these people.
2: And it's very much for herself. It's not for Scarpia. It's not for the audience. It's her just saying what am I going to do now? I have exhausted all of my options. And I think it's her really having a moment, an inner moment, praying to God. So the aria is actually about that, about religion.
4: Well, I, I think in D'arte, Tosca realizes that like any human being, you know, she's made her mistakes, she's sinned, she's been vain and so forth, but that in the end, because she is a musician and because she brings joy to people and she searches for what is positive in the world, she is therefore on the side of good. And that hopefully God will judge her that way.
2: I can relate to to the prayer aspect of this and woof. Um, years come yeah um I have an 80 year old mother right now that was just diagnosed with Parkinson's and early onset dementia and um uh, finding my father dead at 17 years old yeah I relate to her a lot sorry
4: I've always felt opera to be my religion in the sense that as a very young man, uh, when I was hitting puberty, I knew that I was gay. And at that point, you know, in the late 80s, AIDS was, you know, devastating the world and specifically gay men. And so I was very attuned and familiar with the darker side of of existence And I ran to the opera house for a sense of solace, for a sense of perspective, a sense of safety, really, to kind of just lose myself in these other characters' struggles. And opera, you know, was able to give me that sort of temple to reflect on what was going on in my life and in the lives of other gay men.
3: After this uh, beautiful plaintive opening, the orchestral texture then changes quite vividly. And we hear these soft, um, kind of rolling triplets that propel her line and kind of keep the momentum going and they rise and fall and really mirror the emotional trajectory of what she's singing about. She's almost confronting things, you know. Why is this happening? And she's defending herself. So it's just a very different sonic world. And it adds a lot of orchestral color to her vocal line.
2: So she says, On top of it all, I gave my voice to you. And, perché, signor?" Why, senor? And she calls him, senor, not Dio, but more informal, senor, sir. You know? And that's how Tosca always talked to God. Every day. Because she prayed to God. She went to church every day. And that is what's so striking about this aria to me.
4: I don't speak Italian very well, but I, I, in this aria, I love the, the line about the stars. That's, that's such a beautiful line. And I gave my song to the stars, to heaven, which smiled with more beauty. What that line reminds me once again of is is just the the mission of opera in general, which is to really leave the surly bonds of Earth and give one a, a sense of the infinite.
2: It's up to you as the singer to build the shape of the aria, because quite frankly, what I sing in the aria is not the melody. The melody is in the orchestra, so I'm not the tune. The orchestra's a tune, and singers often mistake themselves as actually having the big tune, but it's kind of like a handshake that goes on. I sing the melody for a little bit, and then I hand it off to the orchestra, and then they hand it back to me. So I've come to the conclusion that it's her inner dialogue. It's her having a conversation with God. She prayed to God and said, what should I do? And I think the answer came to her, don't be the victim. Stand up. Be stronger. Outsmart him.
3: This aria definitely has a a kind of particular resonance and potency in the Me Too era. When you think of all these women who were put in awful situations that are absolutely unfair and brutal by a very powerful man who said, well, you know, if you want to advance in your career or if you want to keep this job, you have to do this. And that's exactly the same situation that she's in.
2: I've been a victim many times over. And you have to really give yourself that pep talk and, and say it wasn't you that did whatever brought that situation upon myself and upon the circumstances. It's that inner dialogue and that inner voice and the inner light that you have to find. And I think Tosca finds it as well, but it's difficult because we want to blame ourselves. And I think Tosca is blaming herself. What did I do? Did I give him some inkling that I was attracted to him, that I was interested in him, that I was weak? The pep talk is, is if not a daily thing, a weekly thing, for sure. Because, and my business, being an opera singer, it's not all roses and, and sunshine and champagne.
4: Certainly, you know, as someone who was, you know, uh, abused sexually and who was also experienced a kind of... um discrimination, opera has always been a kind of lifesaver in a lot of ways for me, Uh, you know, just to to receive some kind of spiritual sustenance. And that is the ultimate aim of opera, to transcend the kind of bother that that we all go through in our daily lives.
3: So a lot of the aria um, essentially is building towards the end to this high note. It's the kind of culmination of her anguish. She's letting her despair show unfettered. Why me? Why? Why, senor?
2: The hardest part of the aria is building up to the big climactic moment. Per senor? The big B-flat. And it is so easy if you're emotional and into this aria to overshoot that B-flat. And I can't tell you how many times I've sung this aria and I've overshot that B-flat.
3: And then Puccini ends back where we started on this pianissimo note of kind of quiet despair, where she's asking again, why do I deserve this? And it's a much more prayerful sound just like the beginning was so the aria unfolds in what's really a kind of arc with a this beautiful plaintive opening and then we end back with the same kind of somber note of resignation it's hard to imagine given the popularity of this aria and the significance that it now has that it almost didn't make the final cut um, and Puccini wasn't sure whether to include it in the final version. And then a couple of critics thought that it was pointless. And somebody said, I think it was musically inconsequential. And the reason that they gave was it, it, that it kind of stops the dramatic action and it stops the flow. And, of course, in one sense, they are right. I mean, the action does come to a stop. And she, we listen to her, you know, express her innermost feelings in this very poignant prayer But I think to argue that it's dramatically not necessary is very odd, because I think it's because we learn who Tosca is in this aria, and we see her vulnerability, and we see her sadness, that it makes her much more relatable, and that we do then understand the choices that she has to make.
4: I would argue that perhaps more than any other aria ever written in the history of opera, V.C. D'Arte symbolizes the um, struggle of, of being an artist and the chaotic relationship between, you know, living in one's imagination and, and in this sort of mystical world of creation and then facing real life, which at times can be very inspiring, but other times incredibly traumatic. And I think it all boils down to that, and and this aria certainly defines that. You know, in in, in life, you know, you can either do good or you can do bad, And, uh, and, and doing music is doing good.
2: What have I had to give up in my life for my career? It's a long list. The biggest thing is very present right now in my mind, and that is my opening night of Tosca here in New York And that is the day that my mom is moving from her house to assisted living. I mean, how bad of a daughter do I feel? That said, you know, she understands. And I told her I would be there if she wanted me to be there. But she said, no, you know, you go do your job. And it brings her much happiness seeing me happy doing what I love. And, you know, that day's going to be a bit of a mixed emotion, but maybe that's going to add to, you know, my emotions uh, on opening night of singing Tosca. You know, I live for art, I live for love. And now let's listen
0: to her sing the whole thing. Here's Sandra Radvanovsky with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. You know, I never got to sing this aria. I'm so glad that she did. That was soprano Sandra Radvanovsky singing Visi d'Arte from Puccini's Tosca.
2: And hey, here she is one more time. The last time I sang this, the applause was, like, amazing. The audience was just overwhelming. And I started to cry during the applause, and I thought, I literally said to myself out loud, Sandra, pull yourself together, (laughs) Yeah I, I had to physically say it out loud because I was so overcome with emotion. That's what this aria really is. It's just raw emotion.
0: Alright, curtains going down on this episode of ARIA Code. This show is a co-production of WQXR in the Metropolitan Opera. Our producer is Marin Lazian, Brendan Francis Nunam is our editor, and Matt Abramovitz is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Matt Boynton and original music by Hannes Brown. Our team also includes Krista Ripple and Ricardo Quinones. Special thanks to Sandra Radvinovsky, Rufus Wainwright, and Vivian Schweitzer for their insights into Vissi Darte from Puccini's Tosca. Join me next episode to meet one of opera's femme fatales. Well, I think in general, to be a singer, it's a very power-seeking procedure because we want to go on a stage and we want to command the audience once we appear. It's a little bit narcissistic, but it really is a very satisfying feeling when you feel that with your voice, you actually can command the attention of 4,000 people where nobody breathes and suddenly you say, "Okay, I have you now all and I can I can do with you whatever I want. I'm Raina Giddens, and I'll see you next time. Mille grazie. I'm going to sing it one day but it'll probably be down
1: the octave and with guitar.